Hello and welcome to this special edition of El Sales Talk podcast, featuring an interview with Aaron Benson, Director of Identity and Security Solutions here at Novell. Today we're going to be talking to Aaron about the changes and evolution of the identity management industry with specific focus on compliance, as well as on the new and growing area of access governance. Thanks for joining us. Hope you enjoy the session. Hey everybody, it's Ross Chevalier and I'm here on Skype with my good friend Aaron Benson, who is the Director for Identity and Security Services at Novell. Hey Aaron, how are you doing today? Doing great, thanks Ross. Aaron, thanks very much for being with us today. Uh, we've been going through around the Americas talking to folks about a number of identity and security initiatives, areas in the uh, compliance of identity management, provisioning, access governance, and I'm very happy that Aaron's agreed to join me in today's podcast because he's an expert and uh, has been doing this for a long time. So Aaron, why don't you tell uh, the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, time at Novell, areas of interest for you? That'd be a great start. So uh, I've been with Novell going on about 12 years now. I have about uh, 20 years in the industry. And uh, a lot of time I've spent, well, the entire time I've spent is is designing IT solutions for customers. And uh, specialization of the last uh, about five to six years has been in the information security space. So a lot of focus on uh, identity management, provisioning, uh, access management, and uh, other security concerns our customers have. Excellent. Thank you. So there are a number of acronyms uh, that we run into in this in this space, and I think that's caused some confusion for people. I've heard the same four letters uh, used to mean many things. I mean, I've got an old mainframe background, and the first time I started to hear people talk about SDLC, I got a very nasty flashback until I realized <laughs> we were talking about software development lifecycle. So in your experience, when we look at identity, I think one of the things that we hear pretty consistently is that there are four key components in identity. Identity management, access control, the compliance space, and the governance space. Do you think that that's a fair framework to build on? agree that those are four key legs to that particular table, if you will? Uh, absolutely. Okay. So for folks who've been doing access management uh, and identity management for a while, maybe they've done some provisioning. Where do you see the next big step for those people? So folks, especially the ones that have done some initial provisioning and, and a lot of the customers that we go uh, and visit nowadays or, or that we've done work with before in the past, uh, many customers have done that initial deployment uh, where they've, they've uh, synced up some key systems, perhaps done some password management or some basic provisioning. And so a lot of what we see now um, is probably in a couple of different areas. One is, is how do I take and expand on that infrastructure uh, to additional systems so I can get additional benefit uh, of integrating with them on uh, some additional automation and, and bring some of the, the security best practices that you did in, in those first core systems and extend them out to additional business systems. Um, secondly is going in and, and leveraging that power of automation uh, to add some additional capabilities to orchestrate business policies in the area of roles. So being able to take advantage of the structures that exist within an organization and start to more fully automate 
uh, how you're giving provisions and capabilities as well as removing them uh, from those that need it. And, and so some of the, you know, taking advantage of some of the natural organizational structures and then using the IT infrastructure that's been deployed uh, to help more fully automate that. When people look at this sort of uh, the move to roles, how, what kind of business benefits are driven by adopting a roles-based model? Is it an acceleration of deliverables? Does it simplify the world? Does it allow more systems to be interconnected more quickly? How, do, how can businesses really measure the value prop there? I think one of the, one of the key things that people are focusing on roles now is for compliance and reporting. So how to more quickly understand who has access to what. Um, and, and roles form natural containers for that to, to make it more translatable to a business consumer exactly what their, uh, uh, their employees has, have access to. And so it's easier from a reporting standpoint um, because some of the boundaries are very natural and, and it, it's a good way to group um, and understand those reports in the business context. Um, another element is around the element of self-service. So people are looking, they, they want to get IT out of the provisioning business necessarily, but that requires an abstraction layer to translate IT assets, which enable business processes, into a language that a business uh, consumer can understand. And so um, another element of roles is that ability to set up self-service so the business consumer can request a capability rather than just an IT resource and have the systems themselves uh, do a couple things. One, uh, check to make sure that that's a valid relationship or entitlement for somebody to have and make sure it conforms with uh, uh, best practices around security, around least privilege, uh, making sure that it, it's aware of compliance concerns around uh, segregation of duties. Um, and then once that's determined to be a valid relationship to automate the actual granting or revocation of, of that uh, business capability. So that sounds like that's going to be really, really critical to organizations that they start to embrace roles as quickly as they can. Because what I'm hearing from you, if I'm hearing you correctly, this allows them to not only move forward more quickly, but also as they are building their compliance and governance infrastructures, if they don't have one already, the presence of roles is going to make that much simpler as well. Uh, and so I, I was going to concur with that. I, the, the other element is that most people struggle initially um, because they start their role efforts too, either too broadly try to tackle the entire enterprise at once. And so a lot of our customers try to take a look at the problem and come up with a vision that's encompassing from an enterprise perspective, then really start to doing the breakdown uh, around some organizational or functional boundaries so they can start smaller and construct and build out their models. So that's a question that I see coming up on a really regular basis. Do people start top-down? Do they start bottom-up? Or is it somewhere in the middle? Or are there some questions that they can go through to help assess where they need to be? Well, I mean, there's definitely a whole ton of questions, and a lot of them are are business-related and have little to do with technology. And that's where working with some of our, uh, our partners, our SI partners, is pretty key because they have a pretty good grasp around what are those uh, questions and and. Uh, interviews need to be like in order to extract enough information to build a sensible role model. 
but a lot of even what uh, those folks will uh, recommend is trying to uh, you don't eat the elephant you know whole one bite at a time you, you take a uh, little bites to the problem and it's just some sometimes different uh, divisional units of an organization provide a, a good cross section uh, from which to, to build and construct a role model that you can then use some of the technology to automate and start adding benefit to that section immediately. Um, some of the issues we've seen customers get before in the past is when they try to do too broad and try to boil the ocean. And then by the time that they're done building a role model, their organization is completely changed and the model they just built is no longer relevant. So proceed in reasonable size steps is the best advice and uh, don't try to do it all at once. Absolutely. That's correct. Now, one of the things that you said earlier in our conversation that I'd like to tie back to was the engagement of users themselves, both in the provisioning and self-service perspective. I've seen some folks say and also read some articles that would suggest that that's not optimal. And yet at the same time, I've seen, you know, articles and, and spoken to customers and definitely in my own, you know, executive conversations what I'm hearing back is that level of engagement really moves things forward and you start to get more enthusiasm from your customers, your internal customers and in how they're using tools. Do you see that? Yeah, I mean, well, I'll, I'll tell you what, the most important thing that IT can do is to build sponsorship outside of IT. And uh, the reasons why those small successes are so important is uh, they build momentum and they build uh social momentum within an organization. Um, and so it's pretty powerful force when you're wanting to continue to keep your initiative moving forward um, is that you have a tangible success and, and now active sponsors in, in the business community that are helping take uh, your agenda benefits forward uh, rather than it continually being trying to some, be something that IT is pushing in the business community. And so getting those sponsors and actually showing things that are uh, beneficial and showing those short-term wins will go a long way into helping make sure you can keep organizational momentum around the, it's one of these initiatives. Okay, so that's very telling, that level of engagement with the user community inside or even outside the organization, depending on scope, that creating of almost your own PR department, you know, has a great opportunity to be powerful. Now, one of the areas where I've heard some concerns is, you know, when we talk about the four legs of that table, is in this space of compliance. And I'm not convinced that we've all come around that compliance also has tangible business value, not just to IT, but to the organization as a whole. What's been your experience in that regard? Well, it's something that's difficult to discern. But uh, it, it could be something that's that's quite easy to show uh, after you you implement some solutions to address some compliance concerns. So um, it, going back to I, I, we've had other conversations in the past around uh, compliance, and so it, it, you go to any customer or uh, any company nowadays, and they'll say, "No, we're in compliance with whatever it is, uh, Sarbanes or, or or some other set of regulations." But the problem is, is that the, the dramatically large costs that it takes to maintain compliance, because many of them, uh, many of these companies went through and uh, became compliant, but through huge manual efforts that they continue to maintain. And so this causes them to 
yes, technically they're compliant with that set of regulations, but at, at a great cost due to the manual effort. And so um, one of the direct efforts that you can get is in some of the, the automation benefits out of some of the solutions that are on market today, and including from, from us here at Novell, is using that automation to try to take some of the manual effort around proving compliance helps return cash by avoiding uh, costs and the, the huge manual manpower it is to prove your compliance. And so you, you, you can almost create a, um, out of the savings that you get out of that, you can almost create a self-funding initiative to continue to help you uh, deploy additional capabilities throughout the organization. What that sounds to me like is the automation processes that we used initially to build managed identity and to create connectivity between disparate identity repositories that really fulfilled delivery on, on those services and accelerated the pace of adoption. We did the same thing around access management, you know, be that through a rich client or through a web. The automation and processes made things better and more cost-effective. You're suggesting that the same thing is true again for compliance. Move from manual to automation, go from intellectual knowledge to policy-based knowledge is really going to help people move this forward and turn this into a business value proposition rather than the feeling that somebody backed the sand truck up to the gears <laughs> and dumped the load in there. Yeah, that's a good point, absolutely. I mean, there's the two big parts of it are the, the automation and validation, right? Uh, automation of what some of the manual drudgery is around compliance. And because you've instituted policy within the system, Get you get the uh, the added benefit of having uh, the automated validation that those uh, business relationships are uh, accurate and within policy. Where does that take us when we examine that fourth leg of the table into this area of access governance? And certainly, we're seeing this as being a major buzzword in the identity community. And you know, as usual, everybody says they've got an answer, but the answers all seem to vary. Where do you see the, the starting points for organizations who maybe they've good, done good identity management, they've good got, or got good access controls in place, and at least they're moving from manual to starting to automate their compliance? Where does governance fit in for them, and how can it, again, how can it create value back to the business and not be seen, uh, you know, as uh, extra help that really just slows the process down? Uh, well, I mean, one of the first areas in access governance, it's, it's, I wouldn't call it totally low-hanging fruit, but it's definitely where you can get some quick benefit is just automating the, the certification process. So making sure to put a little, uh, uh, get a good understanding of who has access to what, um, and then use some of the tools that are available uh, to certify on a periodic basis that those relationships are still accurate. Um, that's probably one of the quicker elements. Uh, and a lot of times it can be done in conjunction with a uh, continuing identity management initiative. Um, but, but it also has the capability, at least in, in our tool set, uh, in our partnership with uh, Vexa, um, the tool will allow to be able to use the identity management system, but also be able to connect some other systems that you haven't uh, um, integrated into your identity management environment yet, but you could still get the benefit of going out and um, and gathering that data uh, into the access certification system to evaluate um, ad business context, 
um, and quickly get to where you can start reporting on who has access to what and, and certifying that that access is valid. I have access to these things. Is that an appropriate level of access? Adding some business context around it and automating it and doing that reporting so that you can get to that uh, periodic reporting that many regulations require. And that doesn't require a huge amount of orchestration. It doesn't necessarily always require real-time provisioning, uh, although real-time provisioning helps. Um, and then from once you get that initial certification down, using some of that business context and knowledge you've learned, uh, and, and then with some of the automation that you have in the identity management system to start constructing out that role model. Because um, a perfectly deployed, totally integrated IT environment of where identity is inherent within it really doesn't need access certification but it, because it's impossible for an inappropriate um, uh, policy to exist. But, I mean, that's that's nerdvana, so to speak. It's, and that's why there's a good way to, to mix your processes with access certification and identity management and role management because um, at some point they'll continue to build and build and converge uh, to where they're more one environment. But it, it, it's always going to be the case that you're going to need um, uh, two different components in the short term because, uh, honestly, you're not going to be able to get to, out to all of those systems for a couple of years. And access certification has some neat tools to it to where you can do some reporting for systems um, and, and get them into compliance and, and buy you time um, until you can afford to go and actually uh, integrate those systems into your identity fabric. Does that make sense? Actually, that makes huge sense, and I, th- and I think it'll you know, have a lot of resonance with our listeners. Let me just loop back. So you talked about the importance of having that identity framework about helping that we're ensure helping people ensure that the right people are getting access to the right things at the right time, that we're able to measure that in a real time manner. So not only are we tracking what's happening, but we're also, you know, helping organizations protect themselves against some something bad happening, either, you know, through malintent or as more often happens by accident. Right. And then at the same time, being able to go back and to validate and to certify that the things that are occurring are what you really wanted. In this concept of governance, is it conceivable that an organization who thinks of, you know, they've done the good work, they've laid out their policies, their roles, their entitlements, is it possible that it could happen that you could have these cumulative entitlements that end up giving somebody either a person or a group or a role access that nobody planned for? Uh, it's possible. Are you referring to a, a concept that's kind of, kind of uh, I don't know what you call it, in, entitlement uh, aggregation, where over a period of time where people's roles change, they, they build a, a glut of entitlements that they perhaps shouldn't have access to. Um, and again, this, since no orchestration is perfect, that's why um, being able to have something like um, access certification uh, helps because it, it, it ingrains a process to where you are periodically checking this. And, and the reporting elements to that, plus some of the other things that we've done around the compliance management platform, um, let you catch those types of uh, um, relationships or, or inappropriate relationships that happen when people have too many access privileges over time to identify them and remediate them. 
Okay, fair enough. I appreciate you spending so much time with me, Aaron. As we look to loop this back, let's go right to right to the very beginning. Are there a set of very high-level steps that an organization who maybe started down the identity management road some years ago and got derailed, uh, let's say they're effectively starting from fresh, or the implementation they have is fairly old and you know not up to date, and they don't have all the connections in place that they might like to have. Is there a set of best places to start? You know, how would you advise that kind of organization? He says, yeah, you know what? We thought we were there. We're not. We really need to get going, though. There are external pressures, internal pressures. The first thing I would do is um, uh, take the time to, to build my thoughts and construct a good uh, a roadmap for these types of initiatives. Because, I, I mean, any company that's in this, these kind of situations obviously learned a lot from the effort. But um, what I often see, what separates customers who are successful from those who are less successful uh, are probably a couple of different factors. Uh, one is, is that they have their business consumers uh, intimately involved in the process, so that they understand that uh, this isn't just an IT initiative, it's a business initiative, um, and, and allows them to be able to to express their business requirements and then understand how this initiative is going to positively impact their business. Um, being able to have that kind of a roadmap laid out and working with a partner who really understands these types of projects is probably another thing that's key because uh, um, these types of initiatives have several, it, it are programs, they have several different uh, swim lanes to different tracks and so it's good to have a partner who understands uh, the interdependencies between those different tracks. Um, and that it's filled with both short-term and long-term benefits, uh, which is important for a couple reasons. Uh, the roadmap itself keeps you on track. Um, it's flexible enough to adjust to dynamic business conditions, but, but it keeps that direction out so that your entire teams and the business that you're orchestrating can, can keep a vision on the goal and keep marching in, in, in a similar direction so that they're well-orchestrated. Uh, the, again, going back to the, the short-term goals, uh, try to cut down the benefits that you're putting uh, or, or the initiatives that you're putting in your roadmap into bite-sized segments so that you can have those short-term successes and build uh, not only actual value return, but also uh, build a good positive perception and, and, and record of success because uh, the societal and cultural elements um, are helpful to keep your business consumers that are, are in uh, uh, people are participating in in the project. It helps keep them on track because they're getting benefit gradually, rather than waiting for some large benefit that could never come uh, in the future. Thanks, Aaron. So if I heard you, if I heard you correctly, start with the business. The technology comes second. The technology's enabler, a great set of tools but it really is a business process that gets mapped, and if those skills aren't inherent in the organization, get some help. Right. I mean, again, this is all about the business. It's where we are in business. Uh, but I, one of the things that's important is that um, IT is an important enabler to business, but uh, it's an enabler. Well, folks, I really want to take time to thank Aaron Benson for spending uh a number of minutes with us to talk about the opportunities, the challenges, and the solutions that exist in the entire identity and security space. 
uh, Aaron's experience in service, services delivery uh, and the implementations of technology to serve the business, I think, uh, bring an enormous amount of credibility to the conversation. Aaron, thanks so very much for your time. You're most welcome. Thanks very much to Aaron Benson for his assistance and cooperation in producing today's podcast episode on identity management, compliance, and an introduction to access governance. Thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you again soon. Novell Sales Talk is brought to you by Novell Inc. You can send us feedback at salestalk at novell.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.